Welcome to First Baptist Church of Terrytown, sharing God's love and hope around the world. Our prayer is that your life is transformed as you hear the Word of God preached today. What happens when we ask God to bless our plans? We all have plans. I mean, even if your plan is to do nothing, we, we have plans and we formulate these ideals and, and thoughts in our minds. And, and, and what happens when that happens? When we ask God, God, bless my plans, bless what I want to do. Now, if you're, you're anything like me, you grew up in America and you, whether you're a Christian or not, you have seen this blazon upon, uh, upon all things. In fact, uh, Kristen and I, for a Christmas present, or not a Christmas present, a wedding present, we have a tapestry with this Bible text on it. And it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. And we go, yeah, that's right. God has plans for my life. He has plans and I have plans. And God, please bless my plans. And we blaze in this and we claim this text because we have these huge, wonderful ideals. Maybe it's an ideal to get married. Maybe it's this ideal to, to date the person way out of your league. Maybe it's an ideal to have your business venture be blessed or to get that raise or for you to be able to afford that house or that condo or apartment that you're looking for. We have these ideals. Uh, also, you've probably seen this one. This one's on mugs. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, although sometimes they will appropriately say Jesus, because that's who Paul is talking about in Philippians 4. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can remember when Kristen and I were on our honeymoon, uh, the rental car we had, uh, as we're packing up to leave, I go out there and there's a flat. And okay, now I was young at the time, so I didn't realize I could just call the rental company and they'll come take care of it. But I, I didn't know. So I'm like, I'm going into fix it mode and I'm like, okay, well, there's, there's the donut in the back. And so I'll get it off. And they have this, you know, like ideally, if you're going to manually take off a tire, you want to have as much leverage as possible, right? And what kind of wrench do they give you in an emergency? Is it one that gives you lots of leverage? How big is it? Everybody starts shouting when you get to the size that you think it is, right? It's about that size. And so I remember I'm out there in the morning and I was telling Kristen about this recently. She's like, I don't remember any of that. And I'm like, because you weren't there. You were inside comfortable. And I'm, I'm out there and I'm like, there's no leverage to get these lug nuts off. And I'm like, and I'm frustrated and I'm praying and I'm, I'm, I'm shouting that verse outside in the parking lot and I'm going, I can do all things through Jesus who strikes me. Right? And there's a person parked in the car just hanging out right next to me and they're looking at me like I'm a crazy man. And I didn't stop because I was like, I got to get this thing off. And the person's not stopping looking at me. It was very awkward, especially when we kept making eye contact as I'm panting. Right? But we do this as Christians. We, we look at these Bible verses and we say, I have these plans. God bless my plans. I'm going to declare them. What happens when we ask God to bless our plans? Well, we find out what ancient Israel did as we go to 1 Samuel chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. And then it just leaves that there and it goes on to another part of the story. It says, Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. Okay, so here's the thing. We have to understand the Philistines. The Philistines, they're called the Sea People. That's kind of what their name implies. We don't exactly know where the Philistines came from. Uh, we do know they came over the sea, but we know that they are an incredibly war-abiding group of people. They were physically huge. Uh, Israel, eh, not so much. Uh, the Philistines were physically huge. They were a 
warfaring people. Not only were they a warfaring people, before they came into Canaan, the promised land, before they came there, they actually tried to take over Egypt. Now, if you remember, Egypt at this time is the most powerful country in the world. They have the strongest army. And here's the thing. The Philistines almost won. They almost won. Egypt barely was able to repel them. And as they were repelled, they decided to stop in Canaan, the promised land. It's actually where we get the name Palestine from. It's a playoff of uh, Philistia, the Philistines. So the Philistines settle on the, the, the coastal country. And what does Israel have any hope? I mean, I go, Israel is, is, is at this point barely a Stone Age society. They don't have metallurgy like the Philistines do. And in fact, the Philistines, they had a motto. Do you want to know what their motto was? Eat or be eaten. <laughs> wow. So it's pretty incredible. Now, we uh, don't have intense, we don't have to fight off invaders often. And Israel was constantly trying to fight off the Philistines off their doorstep. Uh, we don't have those intense battles where we're, we're fighting them off. But we do have difficulties in our life, don't we? Ever get a letter in the mail from the IRS and have to, have to meet with a, an adjuster in person? That's hard. Uh, maybe your finances that you thought were going to be there don't come through. That's hard. You get laid off from your job that you were counting on and living hand to mouth, like the vast majority of us have to. That's hard. Maybe you have a relationship that is breaking apart boyfriend or a girlfriend that uh, you're like, oh, this is the one, and it's turning out it's not, no matter how hard you fight it. Or maybe it's even harder. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. And no matter how hard you're fighting, it just is crumbling to dust. Maybe you have children, young children, maybe adult children. And they're doing things that just bring shame to the name of the family. Or maybe you have parents your parents have started believing things and doing things and, and, and spending their money on things that are harmful to them and everyone around them. Yeah, we don't have invaders at our doorstep, but man, we have struggles that we struggle with that are intense. That is the intensity that they feel in ancient Israel at this time. Verse 2, the Philistines drew up in line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. Wow. So their, their population size was much smaller than ours is right now. Right now, if the United States of America, if we lost 4,000 people in a day, that would be absolutely devastating. But because their population size was much slower, lower, can you imagine the devastation? 4,000 men in a day. Do you ever have a loss like that where you just feel it in your gut? You just feel it. The divorce papers come through. Your kid just breaks off all communication. The, the business that you worked on, that you started, just pushes you out. Your friend who you thought was a friend who you confided in and turns out to betray you. These are the things that keep you up at night. That's what they must have felt. 
Verse 3, and when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? You understand this cry, don't you? Of course you do. Why did you let this happen? Aren't we your people, Israel says? You say, aren't I your child? If you've trusted that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, God forgives you of your sins. He adopts you into his family. You are called a son or daughter of God Most High, of the King. I am your child. You can't treat me like this. Why did you let my relationship fall apart? Why did you let me lose my house? Why did you let me get kicked out of my apartment? Why did you let my friends turn against me? Why can't I manage to pay the bills? God, why did this happen? The second part of verse 3, they do what all of us do when we're experiencing something that we feel God could have stopped. They say, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned in the cherubim. So the Ark of the Covenant, if you recall, uh, this is an artist's rendition. We don't know exactly what it looks like. It's very tempted to get a picture from Indiana Jones and put that version up there. Uh, but... Basically, it was a box that was laid with gold. There was a top on it, upon the top, which is called the mercy seat. There were two cherubs, and their heads were bowed. Their wings were facing each other. Now, cherubs are warrior angels, uh, so not cute, chubby little babies that we're used to seeing, like, like, as, like in the back. <laughs> we would call that a cherub. That's not, that's not what a cherub was. Uh, the rendition here, they kind of have them a little kind of lion-esque looking. That might be the case, or it might not have been. They, the, the, the depiction Israel had might have been like huge warriors. Uh, the idea is flaming swords. These are God's front soldiers. These are part of God's army. And here they are, the mercy seat of God. You can see there are four Holes that poles would be put in through the Ark of the Covenant because the Ark was never to be actually touched by human hands. So if it needed to be moved, you use the pole, go through the holes, and then you could move it without actually touching it to show respect to God. Now, the important thing to mention here is that unlike uh, all the other people, ancient people, uh, this was not an idol. Uh, God didn't say, this is me. So in the ancient world, they would set up an idol to Dagon or Asheroth, and that was supposed to be imbued with spiritual power. And that what it didn't represent, it was their God. And here, God was very specific. He promised to meet Israel at the ark, at what's called the mercy seat. This did not represent who God was. It actually represents what his throne was like up in heaven. And so it was not supposed to be a representation of God, but God promised Israel to meet them at the mercy seat, to meet them at the ark. And so as they have the ark, they're able to, to uh, communicate with God and meet with God. Now, what Israel did here, they said, why did we lose so bad? And then they immediately went through a spiritual checklist. Why did God allow us to leave? When you have failures and I have failures and my whole life falls apart, what do you do? What do I do? I go, God, why did you do that? And then I immediately start saying, why would God allow me to go through this? Hmm. And I go through the spiritual checklist. 
Maybe I need to pray more. Maybe I have to stop doing that sin, and then God will give me his favor. Maybe I need to be nicer to my kids, nicer to my family. Maybe I need to call my mom and dad once in a while. You go through the spiritual checklist. I need to read my Bible more. I need to go to church more. Maybe I need to give more to the church. Maybe I need to give more to the parachurch organization. Uh, Maybe I need to be more generous. Maybe I need to volunteer more of my time. What do I have to do in order to get God to come onto my plans? What happens if we expect God to bless our plans? Israel says, okay, we went through the checklist. We didn't bring the ark. Let's bring the ark of the covenant before us and see what happens. Because God will show up. The second part of verse 4, it says, And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Now, if you were here last week, uh, Eli's sons, the Bible called them wicked, called them worthless, said that they were evil men. Uh, These are two of the highest priests in Israel, but they were evil, they were wicked, they did evil in the name of God. And God already, last chapter, had pronounced judgment against them and said, no, I'm done with them, they are cursed. So this should set us up a red flag, doesn't it? You're like, oh, wait a minute, hold on. So these evil people, the Bible's words, not mine, (laughs) these wicked people are now going to take the holy ark of the covenant of God into battle. Hmm. Now, you might get a little cynical there, but you know what? I mean, this is the real world. The history of the church shows us there are so many times the church has to collaborate with people who are not very good, right? All throughout the history. In fact, even to this very day, we will get on the team of people who don't exhibit a single fruit of the Spirit because we have our plans and we want our plans to get fulfilled. And so that's what Israel does. The church has done that. We've done, we've done that as individuals. We're like, eh, I don't know if I should get in business with this person. They have some ethical concerns, but you know what? They know how to get the job done. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't marry this person. This person doesn't love the Lord at all. But you know what? This person fulfills all my wants, needs, and desires. I think I'm going to go forward. We have these ideals. And we say, I've got these plans, God. And when someone comes around and we say, okay, this person can make it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe there's ethical concerns. But you know what? I'm going to get on board with them because they can get me my plan. They can get me what I want. They can fulfill the dreams and desires that I have. What happens if we ask God to bless our plans? What happens here? Verse 5, as soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of Yahweh had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Okay. Uh, they're, they're understanding, they, they, they played a game of telephone. They didn't fully understand what God had done to the Egyptians, but they understood. They understood that this is Israel, that this is the God 
who struck down the Egyptian army. They understand that this is the God who beat up the Egyptians so bad they wanted nothing to do with Israel ever again. They had just recently in near history been defeated. The Philistines had been defeated by the Egyptian army. And now they're going against, up against the very God who did miracles and smote them. And they rightly fear. I mean, you think about us in America. I think we are rightly concerned, no, fearful, that a nation like Iran or North Korea develops nuclear weapons. It's terrifying. And because we know, we know, these are not good regimes. These are not good governments by any stretch of the imagination. And, and the, the, the power, the devastating power of a nuclear weapon is, is unreal. We don't want them to have it. It's scary. And we understand maybe a little less than even the pagan Philistines, that Yahweh, the God of Israel, the one true God, the God who is, the one who causes things to be the way they are, is even more powerful than the most devastating weapons humanity has ever come across and has ever developed. And so the Philistines, their, theology, their understanding of what God has done, eh, it's not perfect, but they know we're done. They fear Verse 9, take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. Wow. So they, they decide, okay, we're going to fight. We're going to die on our feet than, than to serve on our knees. It's eat or be eaten. I guess we're about to be eaten, but we're Philistines. We're going to fight like men. Their theology is not perfect, but it is correct. They're go if they go up against the God of Israel, it is worse than taking a knife to a gunfight. It is like trying to, to fight a predator drone with a biplane from World War I. What are you going to get, Snoopy to drive you? Okay, great. Well, how good are you going to do against predator drone? Terrible. You're just going to get destroyed. And they say, we're going to fight anyways. What happens if we expect God to bless our plan? Verse 10, so the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled every man to his home, and there was a very great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell, 30,000. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. What? I mean, no one saw this coming. No one saw this coming. Israel thought, we have the Ark of the Covenant of God. He's promised to meet us here. We will win. Even the Philistines are like, we're done. We're toast. And yet when the battle happened, it was so unreal that the Philistines wiped out 30,000 of the Israelites. And anyone who was left ran home. Typically, when, when an, an army loses, a, a military force loses a battle, you regroup. There is no regrouping. We are running home and pretending I was never there so that when they come and conquer us and occupy our land, I can just pretend that I was an innocent bystander. Oh, great. Glad you guys are here. Thanks. Here's all my crops. What happened? When Israel thought they could manipulate God, 
and get God on their side, they lost unbelievably to the Philistines. When we try to get God to bless our plans, our plans will fail. Because here's the thing. I skipped over it a little bit at the beginning. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. God had appointed Samuel as his prophet. And all of Israel knew that this was his prophet. But instead of praying after their first defeat, God, what happened? What's going on? They said, why would God allow this to happen? But they didn't actually say, God, why did you allow this to happen? They were just like, why did God allow this to happen? How dare you? All right, guys, let's talk about this. They didn't pray. They didn't seek counsel. They didn't go to Samuel and say, Samuel, what should we do? No, instead they said, we need to defeat those Philistines now. We need to defeat them in our way and we're going to do it however we can. Oh, let's bring the ark. Let's bring the ark of God. We are going to force God to be on our side and to fulfill all of our plans and purposes and desires. And when they did that, you know what? God said, I'm not in this. You didn't ask me what I wanted to do. You didn't ask me what the plan was. You didn't submit yourselves to me. Instead, you went to a couple of, of, of completely scam artists who I've already cursed before all of Israel. And you tried to manipulate me into, get, into acting. No. And so God refused to get on board with their plans, even suffering Temporary loss of face. Even now, Philistines, we'll see it next week, the Philistines, they come and they say, ha ha, look, we're stronger than their God. God was willing to, to allow his reputation to suffer for that moment because he absolutely refused to get on board with Israel's plan. You cannot manipulate God to get onto your plans. No, when we demand that God blesses our plans, guess what? Our plans will fail. We don't ask God to get on board with our plans. We get on board with God's plans. We don't ask him to bless whatever we want to do. We ask him, what would you have me do? It's, it's totally backwards, and we get that into our, our minds. This text, Jeremiah 29, 11, it's a true text. For I, God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Okay, but what's the context of this? The context of this text is Jeremiah talking to Israel who is being taken into captivity because of multi-generational disobedience to God. He's taken them into captivity into Babylon, and he is going to leave them there for 70 years. It is not going to be easy. It is not going to be pleasant. They are not going to be well-loved or well-received. And God says, but I am not doing this to destroy you. I'm doing this to disciple you. I'm not doing this because I hate you. I'm doing this because I love you. And after this, you will never, never struggle with idolatry again. And so, yeah, it's a true verse, but man, we say, yeah, God's going to, yeah, God's going to bless all my plans. That's how, what we say when we quote this. God's going to bless all my plans. It's like, no, he's not. God might make you suffer for a good long time to improve your life and to improve others in the long run. Uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yes, I did eventually change the tire. No, I don't think Jesus gave me superpowers to do it. <laughs> I think the reason that God the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say him instead of Jesus was so that 
it would at least force us to look at the context of this text. We looked at Philippians a few months ago, right? And say, well, what's the who's the him he's talking about? He's obviously talking about Jesus, but what is Paul talking about? Is he saying he's going to give us super strength? No. Is he saying that if we come up with a business plan and we say, God bless my plans, and we claim this text that he's going to bless your business plans, whatever they are? No. What, he, what Paul was saying was that he will find contentment to share the gospel, whether he has a lot or whether he has a little. Right? Which is the temptation, right? If I am comfortable and my life is fine, I'm like, eh, I have everything I need. I'm not going to go share the hope of the gospel with anyone else. I'm not going to go share God's love with anyone else. I don't have to. I have what I need. Or if you are hungry and you don't have a lot and your finances are a mess, you're going to say, eh, I've got to worry about all this other stuff before I give someone the hope of the gospel, before I share the love of Jesus with anyone. But we claim both of those verses as God's business plan. He will bless my plans. No. Instead, we learn from Israel here not to be like them in this case. In ancient Israel, who thought that they could manipulate God to bless their plans? No, instead, we say, look, you have plans, I have plans. We all have plans. We all have dreams, hopes, and aspirations. But here's what we should do. What we do is we take all of our hopes, dreams, and aspirations, and we lay them at the feet of Christ, and we say, here are my plans. Take them and do with them as you will. Here are my skills. Here are my abilities. Take them. What's another name for Jesus? What, what do we, what's, what's another title that we call Jesus? Savior, Messiah, Abba. Redeemer, Emmanuel. What else? Starts with an L. That's the one I'm looking for. Lord. We call, what does Lord mean? Master. It means Master. So you see how ridiculous it is when we say, Master, here's my plans, bless them. No. That's, that's to totally wrong. Instead we say, Master, do with me what you will. Here's what I want to do. If it's wrong, change my plans. Derail them. Help me to, help, help me to, to follow after you. Here's my skills and my abilities. Take them and use them as you will. That doesn't mean we just kind of sit fatalistically and allow life to happen or whatever. But we do come with a humble heart, with humility, saying, God, I'm going this direction, but if it's not your will, close the door. If it's not your will, redirect me. If it's not your will, send somebody in my life to show me what to do. And you know what happens, church? When you do that, your life will not look anything like what you planned it out to be, but ultimately it will be better. If I can get a little personal, if you can humor me for this, this one second, my plan originally was I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write stage plays. I wanted to write TV shows. I wanted to write movies. I was making headway towards that direction. I also had like people in my life, including my girlfriend who became my wife, who's like, I think God's calling you to be a pastor. And I was like, no, no, I don't want to do that. And, and eventually, you know, for whatever reason, I was like, okay, I went out to California thinking I'm going to write out here and I'm also going to go to seminary because whatever, I'll need a job or I don't, whatever. I don't even know why I did it. So I go and I'm, I, I'm out in seminary and I'm going through all of these seminary courses and I'm over here going like, I don't get this because I didn't fit in. People would always be, go to me like, oh yeah, so was your dad a pastor? I'm like, no, my dad is an engineer at IBM. <laughs> like, <laughs> Not at all. And they're like, well, who in your family is part of the ministry? I'm like, well, I mean, you know, 
you know, there's a number of Christians and they all do Christian-y things as they're supposed to. And they're like, oh, right. And then we'd sit in these theology classes and they'd want to get in these huge theological debates. And I don't care. Okay? I still don't care. <laughs> About the minutia and like, oh, you know, I'm like, I, I, I don't care. And we have Greek and Hebrew classes, I'm suffering with that. And my wife can tell you right up until like, uh, it was a month before I graduated, right? I'm like, I am done. I, I'm quitting seminary. I can't do it. It's so hard. Because right? I didn't want to do it. I didn't understand. Like, how, how in the world would my creative side have anything to do with ministry? I, I just didn't get it. It was the hardest thing. But, but, I did at least have enough smarts to say, okay, God. Whatever your plan is, I'm going to follow through. I didn't understand it. And I finally uh, started taking a class with uh, Dr. Kent Edwards, one of Haddon's students, one of Haddon Robinson's students. And, uh, and I sat, the first class I had with him, I was like, ah, this is where my creativity, this is where my, my, my ministry desires, this is where this comes into play. And now when I talk to pastors, kind of the same ones who are like, I don't know what you're doing here. You don't really care whether Jesus did his miracles by virtue of his, uh, his divinity or by the power of the Spirit. Hmm, questioning your, your call to ministry here, Nathan. Um, I do care, but not to get into a shouting match over it. Uh, now, as I, I work with other pastors and everything, I've heard, I actually I heard one recently say, you know what? I wish I'd taken a class in theater and communication. That would have been really helpful in my ministry as I talk to my congregation. And I'm, I'm seeing these things. I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this is weird. My life is absolutely not what I thought it would be. It is. It's not easier. But it is better. Our lives are not going, God is not in the business of being our magic genie to fulfill your wants, needs, and desires. He, he's not interested in you bringing your 12-point business plan to him and saying, okay, God, here it is. Now it's your job to bless it. No. What does God want from us? He wants us to have humble hearts. That's why we call Jesus Lord. He shed his blood for us on the cross so that whoever believes in him can have eternal life. And what does he want to do as a result? What does he want us to do in response to the free gift of salvation we have in Jesus? <sighs> Fulfill our business plan? No, I don't think so. That doesn't mean everyone's going to go into ministry. That doesn't mean that you're not going to use your business abilities. I think all Christians are called to ministry wherever they are at, whether you're in a Fortune 500 company, whether you are working at McDonald's, all jobs have dignity and value and purpose, and God has called you, even if just for a season where you're at, and he wants us to humbly say, God, here I am, here are my gifts and skills, how can I use them to further your kingdom, to share the love of Jesus where I am at? And when you do that, God will change your plans. You might go to a job that makes less money, you might go to a job that makes more money, you might have less influence, you might have more influence. It's not going to look the way you want it to look. But it's going to be far better. When you ask God to bless your plans, your plans are going to fail. Don't ask God to get on board with your plans. Get on board with whatever God wants for your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come and we can worship you and 
We can learn through this one instance in ancient Israel's history. Father, you are not a man that we can command you. We don't have power over you. You are under absolutely no obligation to give us anything that we demand. And yet, you are our good, good Father, as we sang. You love us and you care for us. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know the past. You know the future. And you know what will bring ultimate satisfaction, what will bring ultimate impact. So, Father, I pray for us as a congregation in all the various plans that we have for our own personal lives, all the plans we have as a church, that we take all of those, those plans, those dreams, those desires, and we give them to you, Father God, and say, here's my plans. We've planned our course of action. Do with them as you will. And as we take steps of faith and as we move forward, I pray, Father, that you will mold us and direct us, you'll change us, you'll route us, you'll reroute us, not to what we thought our life was going to look like, but something far deeper, far more meaningful, and a life that will impact the world for eternity, not just in the here and now. Father, we can't do this on our own, so we ask that you would send God the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts and minds and souls. Give us a humility to follow after you, Give us wisdom to understand that you play the long game, not just in eternity, but in our lives. Help us to trust that you have a plan and a purpose and help us to follow that path. And when we get off it, gently correct us and help us to, help us to follow you in all things. It's in Jesus Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the church or make an online donation, please visit us at fbcterrytown.org.